Have we started? Are we recording? We're recording. Yeah. Yeah. Um, none of this was planned to talk about. No. Um, but here, here we are. We take a break um, and talk about things. This will be yeah. Fun. Welcome to the Break Drink Podcast. I'm Jeff. I'm Laura. Join us as we chat about our adventures in higher ed with side chats about tacos, dogs, and much more. Let's start the show. So I know you listened to the New Hidden Brain Podcast about um, this scandal of the Harvard social media. I don't know how would you, I don't know what was, there was a name for it, but the the group of, I believe, 10 students that got their admissions rescinded because of the uh, social media group on Facebook or the Facebook group that they created and an interview with one of the young men that participated in that group and kind of a, where is he now somewhat trying to protect his identity, I believe in that show. Yeah, it was interesting. These were like the students were admitted um, early admission applied a group of them. And they, you know how, like when students, well, in students in the U S at least uh, probably in Canada, other countries, but at least students I know of in the U S before they come to a campus, a university or a college, they try to find like the social media group or thing to start discussing, getting to know each other. And um, this podcast just had them talking about, they got into a meme, uh, like it was kind of like hot memes group and they would share random memes and quotes and pictures. So taking a picture, putting some sort of language or spin on it and things, um, were just kind of like off the rails. I listened to it, like not so much about like the incident or why the admissions rescinded it. Cause they contacted it, asked them like, why did you do this in April before? Um, and said, why did you do this? If you want to write a statement and like, and identify the images you put in. And one of them said um, it was a sloth and it was really, it was a vulgar statement saying it's a sloth saying, well, if she won't date me, then I'll rape her later. In some she put me in the friend zone and I yes, put her in the rape rapes. zone. As That's well, it. That's was. it. Yeah. And I, um, he explained it to Shankar on the podcast and he said Actually, before I posted that to the group, which was a pr- like a private group, um, I thought maybe I shouldn't, but then I did anyways because he was trying to build up friends. And this is a talented, uh, smart kid who had just good grades, played music, uh, was involved in things, just had some stupid behaviors to try to fit in or you know be part of the group or there's that group culture when you are online and behind a screen and semi-anonymous but not um so yeah it was interesting for him to say like i couldn't believe it and his, and his father was on the podcast and said i didn't know that he could do something like this like this is actually a thing that happens which that surprised me a lot more like a parent going why would something online impact what they do in real life and so um he, so oh interesting yeah. so i i yeah. interpret that com- completely different i thought oh, it was more okay. like I don't understand how he could do this. Like oh, okay. he seemed to be like a pretty solid young mm-hmm. man in a small town. And I believe rural Pennsylvania. So yeah. I, I thought he was more surprised at the fact that like his son was capable of doing something like this, but yes, it could be the other way. way. Too. Yeah. And they phrased it like two ways. Like they were like, this could be a really s- smart kid who had a stupid incident, or maybe it's something that could have happened anyways. And, 
it's, it got caught before it got elevated on the campus. Okay. So, okay. So think about when this happened, I don't know how involved, how much you threw yourself into the story. Did you track with the story when it, when it came up? This came out like two I years did ago. not. Okay. I remember it coming I out. So, yeah. yeah. Like I, I remember it was discussed. And since you and I formerly were in like full student affairs, frontline roles, like this would have been something advisors were talking, academic advisors were talking about or um, enrollment folks were talking about in missions. So I did see like people sharing, commenting, like I wasn't heavily engrossed. At, like I remember it. So but I didn't think that I was surprised to hear someone talk about it because most of them stayed anonymous is what I knew. Um, so you didn't yeah. see this came up, but yeah. I, I remember, when, I remember when it came up, but I probably didn't go beyond the headline. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that time I would occasionally do a, um, a talk with incoming students in our orientation around, um, how, these mistakes. Oh, well, I say one, how these mistakes can ruin your career in medicine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And two, how stupid mistakes can ruin your career in medicine. Cause everyone's filming everything and talk about the woman in Florida mm-hmm. who like trashed her Uber driver's car. And she was a resident to get kicked out of a residency. And I assume she's no longer a doctor. I'm, I'm not sure what happened to her, but right. so I didn't really go beyond the headlines. I'm not, I don't remember fully what was shared during that time period. It sounded like because the students remained anonymous and Harvard did not out them on who they were, that there was not a lot of personal stories at that time no. about, about who the students were. No, you're right. They were um, quiet and most of them still haven't been mentioned and most of them aren't coming forward, even though they tried to like fact check. So as, as you do good journalism, We'll yeah. go and get a few sources, triangulate them, make sure things are right. And a lot of them didn't want to talk about it or have anything mentioned because um, at that point, all of them, a group of them had been um, banned from uh, applying to Harvard, going going to Harvard. Um, their admittance was taken back. A lot of them didn't pick another school um, or a few did and went to another school and said nothing. And this student in particular that, that spoke up, He's he did admit to it, um, but he didn't apply to any school, other schools that year. So he was kind of on a, his own self-proclaimed gap year, where he worked and did some other things, um, and thought long and hard about it. And I was surprised that he later next year wrote in every one of his admissions to, and he only applied, which I thought was weird to the it's eleven elite schools or Ivy schools, twelve maybe I don't know. Um, he only applied to those Ivy schools and he wrote in his admission letters that he did this and he was part of that group and he wanted to be forthcoming. He said, because they'd find out anyways, which is true. Uh, yeah. So yeah, like I was just surprised that he had gone to the lengths to do that. He rolled himself in a community college to do some science and math courses, worked a bit. Yeah. And so I don't know what you, th- did you listen to that part? I did. I did. Uh, I, it's, it's conflicting because like, because when you don't know who these kids are, it's really easy to be mad at them. Right. And it's really easy to say they should be kicked out of school, never to return again. Sure. I think this young man was really impressive. I think not only, and not like the stuff that gets you into Harvard, but he seemed to be a talented musician, mm-hmm. uh, 
played the violin, I believe it was. Was the violin? I think so, yeah. Um, he seemed to be a decent um, athlete and or golf player. I, don't, I guess it's Yeah, athlete. he played golf, yeah. Yeah. And seems like a solid like young man in his community, uh, a person of good character prior I mean, his record prior to this would have, have said a person of good character. And seemed to show not only remorse because he got in trouble, but like a a really deep understanding of how wrong it was. Right. And um why he did it and understanding why things were offensive. And understanding why Harvard made the decision they made, saying that he would probably would have made the same decision if he was in their, their case. And but at the same time, going through depression mm-hmm. and all the hard things you go through um, that time, and and to understand that to get into Harvard was the work that a lot of kids and families have gone through for a long time. So it makes it um, like if I was in their position, I probably would have done the same thing. In the same time, like, um, well, his, you remember what his mom said? Like, she, her first thought when she heard about those kids and him was like, "I'm worried someone's going to take their own life." Yeah, because that's what you have. You have high achieving students, and in every way, like they are self driven. And there's a number of them from different backgrounds. As he claimed, he said it was a very diverse group of people, and most memes and things that were said were jokes, usually related to their own background, ethnicity people like nationality. Um, so they would poke fun based on things that they've heard people say to them and they'd be, be right. Some racial slurs, some hate towards their own group, religion. Um, but he said essentially like that group that wasn't allowed in, well, what happens to them? And his mom's like, I hope there is nothing that, that will happen to him. And he himself claimed like at one point he's like, what am I doing? Like, why am I not in school? Like, why am I kind of left behind? Speaking Sorry. of social media, and needs to get himself in check. Yeah, that, um, that was a little one. Oh, okay, never mind. Um, yeah, so it 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 leaves me it leaves me somewhat conflicted, right? Because no one has the right to go to Harvard, right? Like it's yeah, like why is that the only school as well? Yeah, I was, I was kind of I was kind of pissed off that he didn't apply to another school. And like, then and and then um, beyond. Uh, so okay, that that aside, also the actions were one hundred percent inappropriate, and there's really no like defense for the actions, no. right? But then, as educators, um, is it responsible to just write these um, young men and women off, right? Or do we have some type of education training? Uh, reflective whatever responsibility to 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 educate as to why why the actions were taking on here, um, and I don't I'm not trying to say I have any of these answers. I'm just saying um, it the issue can be somewhat more nuanced than we like to think because we've lost all sense of nuance in our culture either people agree with us or they don't agree with us. Right. And if they don't agree with us, we don't have any time for that. They're just wrong. And so it is, uh, I, you know, we have to think about, so, so it is more, it is more difficult. He, he seems like a person who can really contribute to the world and his community and society. 
And I would for sure want him to, I would be fine with him being a part of my campus with he, with him, this one individual being a part of my campus uh, in, in the future. And I think that um, he probably has learned a huge lesson in that door. He can help other people. Um, well, so, the question is though, like it's, it's an elite school. It's an sure. IV. And so that's the difference. And that's the notoriety of why it was made the press. Like I have no doubt other admissions folks have rescinded or hand slapped or something to other students or given them probationary admittance. Um, that's mm-hmm. what happens at some of our public schools and state schools in the U S at least. Um, or if there's been something that comes up that comes into question, they go on to some sort of a dean of students or probationary period, um, some sort of actions taken based on the code of conduct. So what do you happen when they're in your school and they're part of this? So it varies from institution. So no, no institution is the same in the U.S., which I have issues with as well, but that's uh, for a different topic. But like, I think, would it be different if it was a state school? Would it be a different if it's a public institution? Um, so like the same time frame. Yeah. So uh, same thing happens. They're going to. Um, so I think amongst public institutions, there's um, I don't say eliteness, but like different. Yeah. You know, there, I mean, um, uh, if I name a school, someone's gonna be mad at me. But yeah, like, no, there's a t- there's kind of a pseudo tier system in the U.S., which I never yeah. understood till I lived here yeah. and understood more of higher ed. I will say, like every four year school is not the same, and they're looked at each other by tiers. And I don't get this hierarchy as much, but yeah, like it's harder to get into Berkeley than it is to UC Riverside, right? Right, right. Um, no offense, to UC Riverside. I don't know anything about your school, but Berkeley has school. this stature sure. and reputation. Um, probably well deserved, right? So, and then that gets replicated across um, every every state with probably whatever your tier one school is within your state. So, going um, to school there is could, such pressure, though. Like that's what I've noticed in the U.S. Like there is such high pressure to go to university, and certain ones mean something. And I never, I never felt yeah. that as a as a student. And I might be biased. Um, and I, like, there's a book I want to read. That was probably I should read, and maybe someone else should uh, read by another Canadian. Um, but it was—it's about essentially folks' journey into university. It looks so different for everyone. Like um, his name's Paul Toff. I can tell you what that was. I decided to make Goodreads. Um, he wrote a book that's just come out, and he was on the Law and Foreign podcast talking about it. And it's—it's called uh, "The Years That Matter Most: How College Makes or Breaks Us." So okay, it, it so. I've been thinking about this a lot recently. Um, okay. I have children in elementary school and mm-hmm. they get, I don't know when I started to get grades and growing up, like when I got re, like report cards with grades. Sure. In um, also I was not a very good student, so I wouldn't have cared what the grades <laughs> were. Um, my kids are um, fortunately really enjoy school and they do, they do well. Right. So we're already like thinking about, like you always think about your child's future from the moment they're born, like what they could mm-hmm. be and become. But now they're doing academic stuff like, oh, they seem to really like science or they really like math or my daughter really likes the arts, right? And my school has the, we're fortunate. Well, people are also, like I have a friend who's pregnant and going to have a child in the next few months, but they're shopping for kindergarten already. Yes. That it, is and wild. And especially like in New York, like you do that before you have your child. You know, like that's crazy. For us, we, um, I can go into the history of how we 
picked where we live, but, but it was based on, it was based on schools, but also we wanted them to have like, like we wanted them to have a quad education, but we wanted them to not be in a homogenous group. We wanted them to have economically and um, racial diversity. Um, my wife is uh, Korean, so our kids are multiracial too. And right. for them, so like we had a lot of thought in where we live based on, 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 on our school. Um, and we'll get into like dream hoarding and, and um, getting your kids into college in a, in a future episode because we probably country music our, our way out of time to get into it this time. Um, so again, but no, let's talk about it sometime that. because that, that is something, it means something a lot um, to folks. And especially, I think we're going to talk in a future episode about financing college and then beyond that at some point too, yeah. because I think it means more because it costs more. And that's something right. that I have to remind myself. So, so it's weird how much you're thinking about that, how much that um, we're not crazy with it. And uh, because I read, Carol Dweck's book on mindset, I'm very much into praising the effort more than the grade. Sure. Um, and so, and because, yeah, so that's just like, because the process by which they get the grade is more important to, to praise than the outcome of the grade, right? Cause you want them to be able to like, like be hard workers and care and all those kind of things. So um, the best parenting books are not parenting books. So I would, you know, <laughs> read grit, grit, read mindset, yeah. you know, read those books, um, lean in if you have a, daughter like i did so um so uh, also today we have our we are my campus has a big brothers big sisters program where they take kids from a, a charter school on the south side campus and then we have lunch and we talk and and now a group of um this is my third year doing it he was a sophomore when i met him he's a senior now and so we're in the process of talking, like really getting them to like focus on where they're applying for schools, then do a visit a school, do they take you to visit a school, all, all these kinds of things um, for this Big Brother Big Sister program. And and today they want us to, for us as the bigs, to reflect back on our experience of our senior year mm-hmm. um, and talk about that. And my experience of my senior year is nowhere near. Um, now I probably should have had more stress in my senior year than I did because. My parents didn't go to college. There were very few college counselors. I had no idea what I was doing when I was going when I was applying for college. Like I was starting my senior year thinking, like I guess I should take the SAT sometime, which most people had already taken it and already started college applications, and I had no idea what was going on. So right. there's a lot of colleges I couldn't go to because by the time I was thinking about applying, like I'm past the application the application date because I didn't have that like early on advisement. But you're a first gen, yeah, university yeah. student. Okay, yeah. Well, I guess it depends on how you define it. I had some uncles and aunts that went, but like my parents didn't go to college. Yeah. So, um, so um, like I had no idea how to navigate that or that I even need to navigate it. It just seemed like a thing that was like, I supposed to go to college. I guess that's going to happen. Right. Kind of, kind of thing. And uh, like where like they're talked, they're talked about it all the time, which is good because the, the research shows that it creates like a college doing culture, right. The, to talk sure. about it, to do college visits, those kinds of things but like the pressure on them to get into whatever college or to get into college. Cause for some of these kids, like they're almost all first gen, their mm-hmm. parents may or may not even speak the language of the college counselor to be able to even help their Forget child. Forget the university language. <laughs> yeah. It's even help their child like navigate this, yeah. uh, this process. And my my um, student has missed class a few times because they needed to go across the border to visit family. And so like, the, you know, like, their families don't necessarily have the same priorities as they might have right. as wanting to go to school. 
And so like the stress level on kids now going to college and probably some parents going to college um, does not seem to be on par at all from when I was going to school. And now as a parent, I'm really trying to fight that um, instinct to do like be the crazy parent no, um, don't, don't be that parent. So to, uh, my, I mean, I want my kids to do well, but I want them to like, I want them to try hard. I want them to enjoy learning. I want them to learn how to learn. I want them to, you know, I, I want them to, ex- to have like, like thoughtful questions, and inquiry and those kinds of things mm-hmm. that really make it matter versus like, like there's this checklist. I have to complete these things in order to get to this. And and you know what? It's not you. So I don't have kids, uh, but I did listen to a podcast today on how to stress your kid the right way because I have kids around me. So I'm a pseudo auntie or sometimes. So the idea is how do you raise a resilient child? Like we said, like that persistent grit and an author, um, her name's Wendy Mogul. She wrote this book called The Blessing of a Skinned Knee. And she talks about like letting them fight their own battles, uh, let them figure out and wayfind in the world, let them orient, let them move fast, let them climb really high and like fall out of a tree and figure it out. Because those yeah. early experiences, I think, do set people up for more um, agility, adaptability, as you said, critical thinking, problem solving, troubleshooting that we want them to do. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I've done all those things. Uh, and I, but I do think that it's hard because we see more parents involved in the process when they should kind of just step back in some ways. And I'm not a parent, uh, but I am an aunt and I do care that uh, some some of my, and I adopted aunts from some of my friends, kids. Um, But so I do care that they're kind of like treat like little people and have conversations and are respectful. And you know, those are really important. Oh, and the responsibility thing is like really key because I don't don't think parents Mm -hmm. give their kids opportunities to be responsible. Like, our kids have to like we may make their lunch, but they have to pack it and have to unpack it when they get home. Um, their after school program, they do their homework, and I mean a lot of times, like unless they're unless they're actually struggling, a lot of times like I don't even look at it. Like it's if they get a poor grade, then we'll look at it again at that point. But they have to go to the they have to learn to get to the process at one time. Um, in their after school program, there's a teacher that like yells a lot, like not at kids, just like in general, like just loud. Just, just loud. I know how that just, is. Which like really like kind of bugs my daughter, and like, okay. I'm like, oh well, like figure it out. Like, you, like you need to learn to like negotiate this stuff now, because like I'm, you know, I'm not going to go talk to your college professor and say, can you keep your voice down? Uh, <laughs> doesn't want to learn well. So um, now, what's interesting also is that um, like I'm a Gen Xer. Mm-hmm. Same. I had kids later in life. And then my kids' class, my kids, like as my parenting cohorts, right? They're my yes, kids' yes. schools. It's a mixture of like my generation, but like a lot of millennial parents. Sure. And I'm just fascinated to see, like, as our kids progress, how this is going to manifest. So, like, is there, like, what are the generational differences in parenting while we have kids, like, in the same? class. It sounds like a right? great study right now. Uh, yeah, it really would be. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I think... Like Laura's looking around for like, I need to write this down. I know. I write this down. <laughs> Let me know. No, but it is interesting. And I, I mean, I also, I don't know if it's always a generational thing, though. I think it's also a parenting thing. Um, 
I think we should parent like Germans, a little more free range parenting. Uh, meaning they can, like you said, they're, figure they're it out. Fence. <laughs> no fence. They're uncaged. <laughs> they eat naturally. Uh, no, uh, it's the idea of them like uh, going to fight their own battles and, you know, make, figure it out, negotiate friendships and relationships, like you said. Um, like I always try and encourage when, uh, kids come over with my friend. My friends have their kids. We hang out with them a lot. Like I always encourage good behavior or how can I contribute? Like go set the table. So the four-year-olds clean the fork and knife. Like, so I want them to do things yeah. to be part of it. Yeah. I know that you're part of a group and a community and a family that you're a contributor and not just like serve me. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's how I would be if uh, you dropped your kids off at my house, John. I mean, I was talking to a, a, a therapist who works with adolescents and they were talking about um, like her, she's always has like these teenagers and they are struggling with relationships and friendships and dealing with people because they never had to do that until they got to high school because their parents just did, did it, it for them. them. Yeah. And so, um, and it's, it's one, it's always easier to do things for kids because when it's faster, you know, the answer It's just, it's just easier. Right. But like, like efficiency is not always the most effective. Right. And so, um, being the efficient parent does not mean you're going to be an effective parent. So trying to like, um, you need to take the long road a lot of times because of parenting, because it's going to have like the best, like long-term results. It's the long tail of parenting right there. Patience. Yeah. I forgot um, how we got here other than like, um, paying for your kids to go to college. Well, okay. So we got here. I'll, br- I'll bring us oh, back. And the, the stress, that, the stress that the current students have. That's right. Stress. And we talked about, so what this comes back to, let's full circle it back to the social media situation is uh, what goes online cannot be unsent or deleted or there is the internet archive and screenshotting. Things are going to happen behavior wise. And if we could teach them like early behaviors and kind of developing their character and their ethics along the way, they're going to mess up. Um, I'm really glad that I never had social media because we would have been forgiven or not forgiven the same way, I think. But I think we need to recognize some of these as learning experiences. And we have professionals. We have high up professionals. We have faculty members that mess up on, on social media. It just is behavior that's now tracked documented and public so yeah. traceable and so we have to think about it's not like it's it's a digital thing it's a a socialization thing that we have to come to and i have a very critical topic before we end this what are you doing with your dog on instagram and how are you communicating him to behave appropriately online now okay so i have a dog named george <laughs> which sometimes i call the general um, Hamilton reference, hashtag Hamilton reference. Hashtag, uh, yes. And so I'm going to open the door. I chant, here comes the general when he, when he comes <laughs> And so. Tried um, to get Jeff to sing it, but he won't do it. No, um, it's too late. Boom. And I've been drinking tea, not anything else. And so um, George is a great Pyrenees. He weighs 100 pounds. He's a massive dog. He is. He's a good boy. He's always a good boy. Um, a lot of laying around the house, a lot of laying around the backyard. Um, we're, we have a corner lot in our house, and on our back fence, we have, uh, I would guess you, I call them the bleachers. Like, whenever there's kids in the backyard, we need to give snacks. They kind of go sit on these steps, um, and they are able to, to make a mess and have a snack over there. And a lot of kids can sit in one small space. Um, or they're, like, kind of a large set of steps against the back fence. And we've had a lot of dogs here. We've We've fostered great Pyrenees and a lot of dogs have kind of come in and out. And for some reason, we got George about a year ago, he decided I'm going to 
climb up these steps and put my front paws over the fence. See what's going on over there. <laughs> it's because he so needs started, the general. So he's like now patrolling essentially. Yes. So great Pyrenees are like protective dogs. So they, he, there are paths that went out in there. Uh, well, one, there's a path that goes exactly from the back door to those steps. Cause that's where his first thing is. Then along the fence, the path went out. <laughs> and so, uh, so I started to get questions um, when I was in the front yard or doing yard work, like, what's your dog's name? Does he sticking over his head over the fence all the time? He looks adorable. <laughs> in fact, he's like literally hanging over the fence with his arm, like Wilson, except showing more because Wilson, you'd only see above his yes, eyes. Yeah. Okay. Had he done that before, we probably would have considered Wilson as a name, but um, we named him before that. Part. He's more obvious though. He's like straight arm over, like, how are you yeah. doing? Hey. So, I, I noticed there's a, a private school close by, Antonian High School, and they have a really good cross-country team, actually. They win the state titles and stuff. Nice. And they run through my neighborhood every day. And, and I noticed they started to stop and talk to him. And so um, because of these questions and because of, the, because of all this, I, uh, I put a little sign on the back fence that says, mm-hmm. Hi, I'm George. And I gave him his Instagram account. George on Bearfield. It'll be in the show notes. You can you can be his friend. Yes. Um, and did you make that? Is this part of your woodworking? Yes, I, I made this. Ooh. Fancy. And I um, it, he's he's he got a, a, like a surge of followers. Almost the whole cross country team follows him. That's good. And the coach and some <laughs> random people who walk out walk out our neighborhood. Uh, you follow him. I do. And Maybe I guess some of our break drinks listeners too. Yes, and I guess because you follow him, like there are other people, there are other higher education people who follow him that do not follow me. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you hired Julie Larson as your social media manager and marketing guru, then hey, she could she could help you out maybe. Yeah, uh, Julie Larson, who works for that that uh, West Coast startup company, yeah, a little um, company you might know. What's it called? I don't know. It delivers stuff. Yeah. They have a website. I think it's Amazon something, something like that. Oh, so I will say, so this is my question to you. So I read this uh, in the summer. It said, it's a New York Times article said, things people say to their dogs. It's a running commentary. Uh, it tells us a lot about who we are and what we think our animals are. So you think yours is like part of a production cast in the Broadway musical <laughs> in Hamilton. I think that's great. It's funny. Uh, George is fighting the revolution. Um, so I've been li- thinking about like things that you say, like what else do you say to George? Like do you bark orders? So, um, so, so George is, uh, I mean, he weighs a hundred pounds, right? Like if we, if we, if I put my kids on top of each other, I don't know if they weigh a hundred pounds. I don't know if they weigh. It's, but he's, he's a, he's a big boy. And if you, and if you do this, right. If like a lot of dogs and you kind of like pat your test, like a dog will come up to give you a hug. Yes. Yes. He's knowledgeable enough to know that if I give this person a hug, I'm going to knock them to the floor and maybe give them a concussion. So That's he'll just kind of, I got to do this. I'm like, come on, George, come on, George. And he'll, he'll just like jump up. Like he'll like jump up. Like, like he's going to give you a hug, but not actually touch you. It's like a cheer. Can I get that on? I would like to see that on Instagram. Yes. <laughs> I, I think I actually did that on Instagram, but he does it so quickly. It's hard to tell what, mm. uh, what he's kind of like coming right at the camera. You're going to have to enlist so, someone else to video this will you. So it's great. It's like, it's, he's uh, awesome with kids because mm-hmm. he doesn't knock them over. 
That's good. Um, yeah. And being a uh, big, big dog. Um, we have a small dog that ch- chases balls all day. They actually play well together. It's like a buddy film. It's like the small, super energetic dog, like really athletic. And then like the, the, like the big teddy bear, but like the muscle of the group. Um, so <laughs> they can make a big, uh, like a really good buddy film together. Uh, that's great. Uh, you'll get to meet my dog. Well, I was thinking about the things I say to Jack, my dog. Uh, I just have like little conversations with him. Like, do you, do you want to do this? Like, I don't say sit, sit. I go, do you want to have a seat? He's like, mm-hmm. Oh, um, I kind of talk to George as a normal person, but also like, I would give them like a rawhide every now and then. And the little dog would come up and sit down before I even said anything. Cause she's just a really smart dog. And George, I say to sit, and he just stands there like, you're going to get that treat, treat, right? (laughs) And so I was like, Uh, yeah, here you go. (laughs) Our our treat is in the pantry where also the wine, maybe liquor and other snacks are. So that's where our treats, the human treats and the dog treats are in the same spot. And so so whenever I open the door, it's like getting a bottle of wine for dinner his automatic Pavlovian response is he goes to his bed way across the living room in front of the fireplace and sits and sits up proper wow. and like, look at me. And I'm like, why do we have, we don't have to do this every time. No, it's our treat. <laughs> we can't get a treat every time we go Trying in there. Cook dinner here. <laughs> um, no, that's great. So I just thought to end on that note. Um, your real kids and your fur kids needs lessons in being social and however you're doing it it's going to impact how they are online so yeah i i want my real kids to avoid social media as long as possible i know that i know the it's getting closer like i mean granted i made them social media accounts when they were born um it doesn't mean i want them to use it it was was a different time back then yeah well i was more like i'm I'm like claiming their i'm claiming it for them not like using it for them and the joke will be like your children will be off the grid and that's yeah i'll be fine with that i'll go visit them there um, so I guess the moral of the story is keep having those conversations with your fur kids, cats, dogs, maybe lizards, fish, uh, real kids, teenagers, students, cause they need to know a few things and they'll sh- show how great they are online or not. If they get some guidance from you, oh, wise ones, our listeners, not us. Cause that's not, I can't claim that we're wise, but that's good. I can't wait to see what uh, Bernard, uh, George on Bernard does next. Bearfield. George Bearfield. on Bearfield. Uh, see, I thought it was Bernard. I'm following another dog. Never mind. Different <laughs> dog. Different social media account. There's too many of these dog influencers out there. Okay, good. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thanks for listening. You have a great week. And until next time. Peace. Peace.